Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we started a series a while ago in Matthew, a long time ago. We did chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, took a break. Uh, then we came back, and we're now doing the Sermon on the Mounts. And if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it's uh, a long sermon that Jesus gives, and he deals with all kinds of topics that are relevant to everyday life. And so we, Lord willing, have on the calendar without any interruptions, we'll be done with the Sermon on the Mount as we move into Advent. So over the next couple months, we will uh, finish up chapters 6 and 7, and then we will do an Advent series together. And today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 9, and I'm going to read that for us together, and I'm going to be reading this morning out of the NIV. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Father, help us as we look at these few verses this morning to be encouraged that you already know everything about us, and yet you still chose to come and be our redemption. And so I pray that you'd make us a praying community, a praying community out of deep love and admiration for what you've done for us, in Jesus' name, amen. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is informing and inviting us to become a new people who live out what it means to be human. And what I mean by that is he is inviting us into a type of life of what it actually means to be truly a human being. And, and I don't want to go into all the philosophical realities of what a true human is and what is humanity. But what Jesus is saying is, I am the essence of what a true human is. And he is, in a sense, inviting us into his life. And his life looks like this. And so we walk through a bunch of these topics of what it means to be a human, to be like Jesus, to be transformed into the image of Jesus, be transformed into the true human. And today, we come to the issue of prayer. Now, notice in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, but he says what? When you pray. Okay? Prayer is one of those things, how many of you... How many of you feel guilty about your prayer life and think you should pray more? Two hands up, right? Like, prayer is like the one thing in your Christian life you can always get better at, seemingly. And what Jesus is assuming here is that to be a follower of Jesus is to be a praying person. So I just begin the sermon by asking, do you pray? And I'm not here to guilt you in how much you pray. I'm asking, do you pray? Because to be a follower of Jesus is to pray, to be a citizen of this good news kingdom, to possess all the rights of the kingdom, means that we are people who pray to the king. 
Prayer should be as natural to us as breathing. Prayer is nothing but simply communicating with our good God. Prayer is something that is just this communing with the Father who has made you. I think of this a lot, like my own life journey of prayer is when I try to commune with my kids, I don't say, oh dear Owen, I praise thee, like, and use all of these crazy words. Like, and there is a sense in which Owen is not God, right? Okay, he even though he thinks so. Like, and there should be some, like, admiration and awe and reverence given. But prayer, this communication between you and God, should be very natural. It shouldn't have to be this super crazy events where we get all suited up and ready for it. Just throughout the day saying, God, help me. God, I'm struggling here. Help me. God, where are you? Like, this is the type of communication that Jesus is asking that when you pray, not when and how and how often you pray, but when you pray, Because what Jesus is going to attack here, what he's going to deal with, is not so much how much you should be praying, but he's after the attitude of your prayer life. What is your prayer life actually doing? What does it consist of? And what Jesus has been doing is he's been taking a rule that the Old Testament has given, and as a sage, as a prophet, he is just unpacking the natural implications of what it means when he says, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. Jesus is just walking through what that means, and so he's going to walk through today prayer. And he says this at the beginning, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay, how many of you want to be like the hypocrites? And how many of you would say, oh, I'm, a, I'm like the hypocrites? Okay, like, it's just interesting. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that secrets, not ostentatious prayer, is truly rewarded. Secret prayer, not this flamboyance, out loud, for a show type of prayer. What prayer is really rewarded is the secret prayer. Our prayer life is not to impress others. We are not to be like those in the synagogue who pray to be noticed by others. Now, this is hard to translate 2,000 years later, because if this was our synagogue, none of you were outside just praying as I walked in. Okay, why? (laughs) Because you'd be considered weird. But in Jesus' day, if this was the synagogue, there'd be people outside the synagogue who would be praying out loud. And again, Jesus is not saying it's necessarily wrong to pray out loud at the synagogue. See, the synagogue for for the Jew was the center of their life. 
Not only was it the place of worship, but nearly every aspect of their civic life was conducted at the synagogue. They didn't just go there to worship. They actually went there to have uh, judicials matter or judicial things um, judged. It was a place often where uh, the town would actually come together and be selling things. The synagogue was the center of their life. And oftentimes the synagogue, the, the leader, the elders of the synagogue would regularly call an individual to pray during their services. And so prayers in the com- were common in the synagogue, and on the street common was even more a place of visibility. And we're not to be like these people. So how do we translate that? You know, as a kid, <clears throat> we used to have Wednesday night prayer meetings. Anyone else have Wednesday night prayer meetings? And there'd be like a 45-minute sermon and a five-minute prayer life about all the people who are sick. And then we'd all go home. Okay, like that's very mean and pejorative, I know. But that's what I remember as a kid. And I can just remember thinking, man, that guy just prayed for four hours. That guy didn't pray at all. And like for me as a kid, I was always focused on what the prayer was do like what the attitude of the prayer was for me. I never was like, I shouldn't say that. Rarely was I walking away with like, man, I was just in the presence of God. And I want to say that's more on me than on them. I'm not blaming them at all. That's me. Like, I would always be wanting to know, like, man, would you just stop praying? I want to go play basketball. There was a basketball hoop at my church. Like, and like, this idea that people would just be praying like all these words. We're not to be like these people. We're not to be like those who pray on the street corners. I don't know if you know very much about the Jewish life, but you look at Daniel. And this was something that went on throughout the life of Judaism. Is, you know, Daniel prayed three times a day? In the morning, afternoon, and at night. These were the times of prayer that the Jewish people would reflect and take time, and they'd actually stop and pray. And we're not to be like these people who are playing the religion game. They're acting out their religion to be recognized by others. So how many times do we, do you or I, pray or do religious things in the name of Jesus, but are really doing it just for the praise and the reward of men? So I think that's one way we can bridge this 2,000-year gap, that we're not outside praying to be known by people, but we still play religion games. And Jesus is saying, don't play the religion game. If you want to be rewarded by having man's approval that you are semi-spiritual, then you know what? You have your reward. I love that. Jesus is saying they have a reward. You want to be like those people? You want to be the hypocrites? All right, here's your reward. People think you're great. And when you die, are those people going to do anything for you? No. So congratulations, you have reward. You've got what you really wanted, is the approval of other people to look at you and say that you are something. But Jesus says there's another reward that you should be after. He says the contradiction, the opposite, is when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees you what is done in secret, he will reward you. So when you pray, go into your room. This is a, a, a word in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, sorry. It's closets. 
And this might shock you, but in first century Judaism, there was really, most houses were one-roomed houses. Okay, they weren't like mine with 17 rooms. There was just one big open area, and oftentimes there'd be a little closet in this house. And in that closet would be the place where you would store the animal's food, because, this is weird, your cow would be walking in and out of your house, your sheep would be walking in and out of your house, and you didn't want to watch him all day long, so you would store the food in a closet so they couldn't get it. And what Jesus is saying, this is where I want you to go pray. Go into, like, the most unholy room in the house. Go to the place where it's, like, the worst of the worst, where all the food for the animals is stored. Close the door and pray. Why? Because the point is total privacy. To commune with the Father apart from any outside distractions. It provides a private place for prayer. So no one from the street is noticing you. You're not going to the synagogue to be noticed. You go into that quiet room. Why? Because you want to be noticed by the only person who only ever really matters. You should be, Jesus saying, taking every precaution to be aware that your prayer life is not for the sake of other people. We go into the room to meet with God. We go into the room to fellowship with the one who knows us, who made us, and still wants to be with us. Christian, I think you need to hear this today. God already knows how ugly your sin is how much you've rebelled against him, and he, still, he knows all of it, and he still wants to be with you. And that reality that God, the universe, knows your future, your future failings, still wants to be with you, should actually press us into that room to be with him. Jesus says that the Father will reward us, and that reward is his presence. That reward is Jesus. God, the hidden one, meets with us in the hidden room. God, the secret one, meets us in the secret places. Secrets, not ostentatious, prayer is rewarded. But number two, Jesus says this, genuine, not repetitive prayer is truly rewarded. He says this, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The background to this Greek word babble, everyone agrees, is a type of prayer that goes on and on and on and on with no contents. This word is like a, a, a mean way, like a, a negative way about speaking about formulaic repetitions of either intelligible or unintelligible words. Thinking that the more you say, the more that you do all of these words, the longer your prayer is, the more effective your prayer life would be. I would ask you, would Jesus tell us the same thing today? Prayer should not be consisting of heaped-up phrases, idle repetitions, and the ridiculous assumption that the probability of an answer is in proportion to the total number of words in the prayer. Idle repetition. Um, Shelley, when we 
when she was here and we would pray and she'd be in groups in prayer, she would say Lord 55 times in a four minute prayer. And I would ask her, do you think he forgot who he was? I'm glad you reminded him. And she didn't like that, you know, but do any of you do that? Like when you don't know what to say next, you just say, Lord, Lord. And then you think of something, Lord, you think of something like reminding him. I'm not saying that's idle repetition. But when we're praying, it's not the words in a sense. It's not how many words you say. In fact, I think it's very demeaning to think that you can do all of these words and incantations and have all of these ways and demand things from the God of the universe. Jesus is saying the main thing is the utter emptiness of such a prayer life. These are not prayers of worship, they're not prayers of intercession, but they are self-centered prayers trying to control God. Do you understand that? Like, why do you keep babbling on and on and on? It's because it is a self-centered prayer that you want something and you are demanding it from God. It's all about the gods, or God, giving it to you. You're like, this is crazy. Okay, well, it's not crazy especially in the Jewish world. My favorite story in the Old Testament is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Anyone remember this story? Okay, Elijah thinks he's the only prophet left, and, and he's having a pity party, and he finally gets out of his pity party, and he's going to go have this, uh, this test, this challenge on Mount Carmel. Mark, I hate saying Carmel. It's Carmel, okay? And so on this mountain... He tells the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. So right now it's 850 against one. And he brings up two uh, sacrifices and he says, you get to pick either cow. And so the 850 prophets pick one cow. And Elijah says, well, here's what we're going to do. You go first. You take your cow, you set it on the altar, and you pray, and you ask your gods, Baal and Asherah, to send down fire. You remember this story? And so what are they doing for these 450 prophets of Baal? All morning, all morning, they are walking around this altar. They are praying to their gods, thinking and doing all these ridiculous things. And it's almost like Elijah's sitting down, and every hour he stands up and comes up to him. This is why I think it's my favorite story. He's like, hey, maybe your god is going to the bathroom. And then he goes and sits back down. And he comes up and mocks them. And he begins to make fun of their gods. Where is your God? And the point is, is that these prophets, who were Jewish people, began to think that the longer that they prayed, the more that they could actually demand from their God. And finally, Elijah says, okay, that's enough. It's my turn. And he puts the animal right on his altar. And he prays. He says, God, for the sake of your name... Send down fire, and guess what happens? Okay, it wasn't four hours of prayer. He didn't have his eyes closed. He wasn't on his knees. He just said, God, for the sake of your name, show everyone that you're the true God. And Jesus says, don't be like the prophets of Baal. Don't think that you can just pray all morning and do all these ridiculous things, and I'm going to send down fire for you. Prayer is not primarily a means to obtain your selfish needs and desires. Prayer is not offered to get things from God, but to actually get God. 
When you commune with your spouse, is it to get things from your spouse? Or you just like to be with them. And you enjoy their presence. And God's people don't need pagan-type length prayers to manipulate him or to ensure that he hears them. In fact, God already knows what you need before you go to him. Isn't that crazy? Like, the gods of Baal and Asherah, they didn't really care about these prophets, and that's why they had to pray so much, is to try to get their attention and be like, hey, look at me. You already walk into prayer knowing that the God of the universe knows you, is aware of you, and is understanding what you need. Jesus says, secret, not ostentatious prayer is rewarded, and genuine, not repetitive prayer is rewarded. But then this leads to two questions. Is Jesus saying that we should never pray out loud in public? The only time you should pray is where? In your closet. Okay? Um, I have met people before in prayer meetings who don't like to pray out loud because they're not in their closets. Okay? So, what do we do with Jesus in his statement? And he says, when you pray, don't do it out loud. Don't do it in the synagogue. Don't do it on the street corner. Do it in your closets. Well, I doubt Jesus is trying to prohibit all public prayer. If so, the early church in the book of Acts didn't follow Jesus' command very well. If we may judge by the examples in the book of Acts, they are praying out loud. So in all of this, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. He is condemning what? A type of prayer, an attitude of prayer. See, here's what we need to do. Is lots of times we take Jesus' words, and I'm going to use the phrase here, we absolutize them. We make his one statement absolute. We don't have the ability to nuance what Jesus is actually trying to communicate here and where he says something different over here. And so we have lots of people who are like, see, Jesus contradicts himself. No, he doesn't contradict himself. Jesus, we don't absolutize his statement. We need to pray in our closet, only our closet. What is Jesus really communicating in Matthew 6, 5 through 7 about a closet? When you pray, you pray to be rewarded by God and to be with him. So I don't think it's wrong to pray out loud. I think it's wrong to pray out loud for the approval of other people. And what about number two? So that's the first one. That's the easy one. Number two is, is Jesus against long prayers with lots of words? Isn't sustained praying important? What about the parable in Luke 18? You may not be familiar with that parable, but there is an unjust king, an unjust uh, uh, leader. And there is a widow who is being oppressed. And so... This widow comes to the king and says, O king, please stop all this injustice against me. And the king is like, you're just this petty widow, leave me alone. She comes back day two. O king, will you please rule on my behalf and make this unjust against me go away? You know how many days she comes back? We don't know, but what we do know is eventually the king was just like, all right, I'm so tired of you coming. I'm just going to give you justice so I don't have to see you again. And what is Jesus' conclusion? 
about this lady, this woman who continues to pray over and over and over again in Luke chapter 18. Jesus' words in Luke 18, he says this in verse 6. Luke 18, verse 6. Listen, God, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, God will see that you get justice and quickly. See, Jesus isn't against you praying day and night. He's not against long prayers. What is Jesus saying? He's saying in Luke, sorry, he's saying in Matthew, that we're not just doing all of these things, trying to do things to command God. What we're trying to do is have an attitude and we come to God and say, God, we need you. It's the attitude underneath that is actually Jesus is talking about. So if we listen to both of these passages, don't pray with long, lots of words and pray day and night, Luke 18. When we look at it a little bit more closely, we, we discover that Jesus isn't really after how long your prayers is, but with the attitude of the hearts. Those who think it's in many words, nothing is going to happen for them. In Luke 18, Jesus is less concerned with the mere length of prayers than with the overcoming, quitting tendency among certain people of Jesus' followers. I'm, I'm not a great parent. I try. One of the things I tell my kids often is they'll be like, I want blank. And I'm like, thanks for telling me. And I try to instill in them this idea that if you want something, you need to what? Ask. And my kids already know this. If they ask me over and over and over again, eventually they're probably going to get it. Why? Because I'm trying to model God to them. No, because I'm, yeah. That's how I justify my life. But the reality is, is, Luke 18 is teaching us to pray and to pray and to pray and to keep praying. Matthew is teaching us when we pray, it's not the amount of words, it's not the words, it's the attitude. And so when people, uh, followers of Jesus, come with this attitude of praying and praying and praying and looking to God, God is going to answer. And I want you to know, as, as, as a... As a pastoral team and leaders, what you saw last week was something we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for two years to happen. And God finally answered that we would have people come to know Jesus and get baptized. That is something we've been praying for. And God answered what is it in your life that you just need to get in a quiet place and that quiet place might be with God's people and say, God, I need you to act on my behalf in these ways. Get to the closet. Get to be with God. Get to know Him. And what you will find is God will not only meet your need, but he'll meet it abundantly, not because he'll give you more provisions than you could ever want, but because when you commune with him, his presence brings a joy and a peace and a satisfaction 
that no iPhone 13 can. Because God wants to be with you. He's inviting you to be with him. So Jesus, we pray that you help us be people who come to commune with you, who pray with you in the secret places of our hearts because we want to know you, to be with you, and we want you to act on our behalf for your name. And so may we be like the widow who continues day and night, but as we pray day and night, we we recognize it's not the words and the length of the prayers, but it's the, the attitude of our hearts. And I pray that as you answered Elijah, you would also answer us. But not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of your name. That Jesus will be made to look glorious and beautiful in the King that he is. So make us people who pray. In Jesus' name.